This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. You see, believers who, who, who again, play in this area or say, well, you know, yes, I'm a believer, but, you know, I'm holding here. And then we see the consequences of that hitting their lives. We ought to be a people who are alert to those things. Number one, when we see a brother or sister falling in a sin, the word says that we who are spiritual ought to come alongside that one to encourage that one. But he also says, but be careful that you're not tempted in the same thing. It sometimes seems like as Christians, we're hard of hearing. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you know that God's word is always faithful. But instead of knowing this truth, we live as if God is some sort of liar. The people of Judah were playing the same game with God. God was promising to bring judgment on them and had already punished all the nations around them. So did Judah listen and clean up their act? No. But the real question is, are you going to listen? Let's join Pastor David in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 2, verse 9, for today's study. Therefore, as I live, verse 9, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom, and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah. Now, that's not a good sign, okay? When he says, you're going to be like Sodom, you're going to be like Gomorrah. Because what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were absolutely, totally, and completely destroyed, wiped out, just ashes. As a matter of fact, archaeologists have a hard time even finding any of the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah to this day. And that's why a lot of people, oh, that's just a, that's just a story. But yet they keep finding these little things, little things here and there that, again, speak and show that it's still there. He says it's going to be an area overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. Uh, how long is perpetual? Forever. Forever. I mean, it just keeps on going, keeps on going. Perpetual desolation. The residue of my people, in other words, a remnant of my people shall plunder them. And the remnant of my people shall possess them. And that word possess is actually the same word that we would get, enslave them. Okay? So in other words, God's people are going to be totally in charge and totally over that area. Verse 10, this they shall have for their pride because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them. And he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People will worship him, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nation. So God says, you, you've come as a reproach against my people. My discipline is going to come upon you. And you need to understand that I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the sovereign one. And people are going to, again, worship me. And what does the word say? That there will come a day, there will come a time that even the enemies of Christ, the word says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Aren't you glad, and hopefully this is the case in all of y'all's life, that's Southern for all of you, uh, in all of y'all's life, that right now you can bow the knee and say Jesus is Lord. We can say Jesus is Lord now in a great way, and we can, again, reap the benefits of that versus, again, at the very end, when he stands as judge, and they will then even have to, again, uh, declare the reality that he is Lord. 
Now from the coastline, skipping over to the other side of the Jordan, now he drops down to, uh, um, uh, to, to the south. To, it says the Ethiopians, and really we, we understand that that's better understood to be kind of the northern region of the Sudan, not the Ethiopia that we know of today that's on the map, in, that's kind of on the north and to the uh, west of Egypt, but uh, it would be more the northern region of the Sudan is what Ethiopia was at that time. He says, you Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. And he says, and he will stretch out his hand against the north. So he's gone down to the, he went to the west, he went to the east, he went to the south. Now he's going to stretch his hand against the north. Destroy Assyria. Make Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the veteran, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. In essence, what he's saying is, you're going to become like a ghost town. You great cities of, uh, again, the, of, of the Assyrians, you're going to become like ghost towns, and these wild animals are just going to lodge and, and wander around free within all of your structures, your great buildings. He says, their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold. For he, speaking of God, he will lay bare the cedar work. Now, again, that idea of the cedar work and laying bare the cedar work, you can look at it a couple of uh, ways. Either taking the cedars and then they would coat them with uh, 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 like gold to be decorations and God's going to strip that down, or finally ornate and carved cedar that God's just going to wipe it out and destroy it. So all of the work of man's hands, God says, it's, not, it's going to become of nothing. It's going to become of nothing. He says in verse 15, this is the rejoicing city. These are the guys that dwelt securely. They were the ones that said in their hearts, hey, I am it. Look at me. I am it. There's none beside me. Because again, these were the Assyrians. Great, mighty, and powerful. God says, you're not all that, by the way. And so he's going to take care of them. He says, how has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her, well, this has to be kind of like a Middle Eastern thing, shall hiss and shake his fist you know, as you walk by. Again, just the desolation. Ah, good, God got you. I don't, I don't know if that's the idea. Or not. I, I kind of think it is, but uh, it's, it's the idea of, again, everybody that passes by will just see no longer are they fearful of Assyria. No longer are they uh, amazed by the beauty of this, their great structure. Now it's just absolute desolation. So now God has gone to the west. God has gone to the east to the south, to the north. And now he's coming in to a bullseye. Now he's going to speak to Jerusalem himself and to the people of Judah. So in chapter 3, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. And then he lists these four things as he speaks about Jerusalem. She has not obeyed his voice. They've not walked in obedience. She has not received correction. There's been no repentance in her life. 
She has not trusted in the Lord. There's been no faith exercised in their life. She has not drawn near to her God. There's been no communion with the Lord, no fellowship at all. And when we look at this with no obedience, no repentance, no faith, and no communion, they don't know the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me when you, again, have people that may come uh, regularly to, to church, okay? They, they, they come on a regular basis to church, but you look at their lives and there's no obedience in their lives. There's no repentance in their lives. There's no faith in their lives. And there's no communion in their lives. I don't need to judge them as to whether they're born again or not. Their lives judge them. Their lives are a clear demonstration. I don't think they're born again. Now, I'm not the judge of man in those areas of salvation. But when somebody's life is demonstrated with no obedience, no repentance, no faith, and no relationship, growing relationship with the Lord, then I can pretty well sum up, I don't think they're saved. I don't think they really know the Lord. They're just trying to do something on a religious way. Maybe going through ritual, maybe going through ceremony. But I think that in the end day, they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to hear those horrible, horrible words. I never knew you. And they're going to say, hey, Lord, yeah, but we were, we, we, we did this and we did that. And we were in charge of this. And we ran this and we, we did all of these good things. And he's going to say, hey, depart from me because I never knew you. And that's the, that's the most important thing that you and I need to understand in our lives. It is that relationship with Jesus Christ that is of the utmost importance, the primary, the paramount. You can't say, well, I didn't quite get that one, but you know what? I gave a whole lot to charity, or I, I gave a whole lot of money to the church. No, you missed, you missed, you missed the first pillar. Once, once you miss that, it doesn't matter what else you've got. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Word of God says you're, you're none of His. He goes on. He says, her princes, he first speaks about the government, okay? Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. And they, they don't even leave a bone till morning. In other words, they absolutely devour completely their prey. That's how savage they are. And this is speaking about the political portion of, it, of Jerusalem or Judea. And then he speaks about the religious portion. He says her prophets are insolent. They're treacherous people. When you, when you think of a prophet... You usually don't lay the word treacherous alongside them. You know, you, you think a prophet, no, it's a spokesman for God. That's somebody that has that communion with God. Someone that has that faith. Someone that has that obedience and repentance. They're, they're, they're a prophet of God. But he's saying, no, they don't have that at all. As a matter of fact, they, have, they are treacherous. And then he says, her priests have polluted the sanctuary. What was, what was the, the, the job of the priest in the temple? They were to go and they were to take the, the sacrifice and they were to go and, and cleanse 
the temple. They were supposed to take the instruments of the temple on a regular basis and go through the ceremony and cleanse them to make them again uh, holy, to make them holy unto the Lord, to sanctify these things. So he's saying, you, it's not that you're not doing that. No, you've gone full circle. You're, you're polluting my sanctuary. And we can look historically back in the other, you know, in, in, in Kings and, and Chronicles, and we, we can see, again, the times of the priests at that time, how uh, they were letting anything and everything come into the temple. All these pagan gods come into the temple. All this pagan type of worship, even uh, the sexual immorality that was coming into the temple as part of the temple. Uh, what, what the pagans were doing, for some reason, the priests of the Most High God thought that that was okay to bring it into his temple. And, you know, again, God is very jealous for these things. He says, you, you've polluted my sanctuary. You've done violence to the law. They were to be the upholders. They were supposed to be the, the bearers and the declarers of the law. They were to be the ones who, again, the people saw and said, you know, I, I, I see what they are. I, I hear what they say. They read the law and it changes. It convicts my heart and it, it turns my heart to with a desire to walk in righteousness. But when those who are to be the the proclaimers of the law were, again, doing violence to it. In other words, they weren't obeying. They were going against it. What's the old saying? Don't do as I do, but do as I say? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, don't do that to your children, okay? Don't ever do that to your children. Uh, again, to, to say one thing and then to do the other is the highest form of hypocrisy. The highest form. He says the Lord is righteous in her midst. Verse 5. And he will do no unrighteousness. And the, the word there, the idea is he will do no wrong. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails. But the unjust knows no shame. The one who does wrong knows no shame. That's the same word. It's the same idea that we saw up in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, you undesirable nation, you shameless, without shame nation, right right here, they're the same way. You, you're doing wrong, and you know no shame. It says in verse 6, I've cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I've made their streets desolate. With none passing by, their cities are destroyed. There's no one, no inhabitant. And I said, surely you will fear me. You'll receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. But they still rose early and corrupted all their deeds. He says, don't you get it? Don't you get it? I, I've punished all the nations around you. I've demonstrated my righteousness, my might, and my power by, again, bringing discipline to all of these nations around you in order for you to look and see, wow, I need to change my ways because God has declared it through his prophets and it's taking place there. God declared it to his prophets, it's taking place there. God declared it to his prophets, it's taking place there. God declared it to his prophets, it's taking place there. God has declared it to his prophets, 
Yeah, but I think I can get away with it. That's what he's saying. You're not learning from the lesson. Now, I know these things are videotaped and they are also available on audio, uh, but I'm not sure if my older brother ever uh, watches these. Uh, he, he's a believer now, so he'll forgive me. But, you know, I, I was raised in, in a family of four boys. I was the second oldest. I watched my, what my brother did, and I decided I wasn't going to do that because I saw how much trouble he got into. Okay? So I think that's what they're saying. Now, I wasn't perfect. Okay. You need to understand that. But there was a lot of things that he did that I decided, I'm not going that direction, you know. And uh, I couldn't just, I'll, I'll take it out on my time. Um, I love you, Chuck. No, really, I do. Uh, I, I can remember, like, you know, when we'd get in trouble, we lived back in the day, and I know it's, like, really bad, but we lived back in the day where uh, parents would actually spank their children. I don't know, it's 100 years ago. Old no picture. Uh, but, um, and, and actually, uh, my dad, uh, don't arrest my dad, he's a nice guy, but actually my dad would use a belt on us, okay? And so my, my brother thought he would be cool. And when my dad came in and whipped him, he would, he would be tough. And he wouldn't do a thing. So my dad says, no, that's not going to work. And so whack again. And he's not going to do a thing. And whack again. And he's still not going to. Well, my, my dad made sure that my brother understood the punishment that he was getting. Okay? Me? This is just my own confession. I was crying before I hit the bed, okay? I cried before I hit the bed. One whack is done, I'm out of there. I don't know if I was the smartest or just the, uh, uh, the wimpiest, but uh, it still worked either way. Okay. Learn a lesson. We see, we see believers who play around in sin and their lives fall apart. We see believers who, who, who uh, again, play in this area or say, well, you know, yes, I'm a believer, but, you know, I'm over here. And then we see the consequences of that hitting their lives. We ought to be a people who are alert to those things. Number one, when we see a brother or a sister falling in a sin, the word says that we who are spiritual ought to come alongside that one to encourage that one. But he also says, but be careful that you're not tempted in the same thing. So we ought to be really very alert and, and in tune with what's going on even in other believers' lives. Judah wasn't. Jerusalem wasn't. I mean, all, all the prophets that came to Israel and Judah, the two divided kingdoms, and prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, said, you're going to face the discipline of God because you continue to walk in rebellion to the Word of God. And sure enough, the Assyrians come down and they take away Israel, the northern kingdom. And as Assyria tries to come against Judah, the southern kingdom, God doesn't let Assyria, but He gives Judah another opportunity. We, we shared, I think, a little bit about this either last week or a couple of weeks ago. That Sometimes I really wish that the discipline of God was like really quick. You know, so that man, the, the, the moment I step out of line, bam, I'm, I'm, I'm back in line again. But the greatness of his love is, is he wants us to obey him, not because we're fearful we're going to get whacked, but because we love him. And so he, he exercises a great deal of grace, a great deal of mercy 
And the unfortunate thing is too many take that mercy and that grace to the fullest, fullest extent. Why did you fall off the wall, son? I don't know. I just fell off the wall. Where were you standing when you fell off the wall? Well, with my toes over the edge. Didn't I tell you to stand back away from the edge? Yeah. So why did you fall off the wall, son? Because I was disobedient. And you see, I, 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 I love what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. Why would we live our lives on the edge of God's mercy and grace all the time when it's so much more freer and fuller to live in the center of obedience? It's much more fulfilling when we live on the edge. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord. Lord, how did I get here? Why is this happening in my life? Don't you love me anymore, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I didn't. I told you to stand back. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Wait for me. What a great word that is. Waiting on the Lord. You guys, anybody ever have problems waiting on the Lord? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that, the P word, okay? The P word, the patience thing. I, it's difficult. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. God is saying, you know what? I, I have a perfect plan in place, and I'm working out my plan. And we look at the unrighteousness, we look at the wickedness, and we're crying out, Lord, why don't you take care of them? He says, you just need to wait in me and wait on me. And as, again, the, 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 the word encourages man, wait on the Lord. Wait on Him. He says, I'm going to assemble all of these nations together, and I'm going to draw them to my assembly. We, we look at this even in Revelation chapter 16, verses 14 and, and 16, where God is going to draw all the nations together together for that last and great battle, the battle of Armageddon. And he speaks of that even right here. I'm going to draw them all together, and then I'm going to pour on them my indignation, all of my fierce anger, the wrath of God being poured out. And he says, and with the fire of my jealousy. Now, keep your place right here. If you are waiting for the restoration and the future of this world, that this world is just going to get better and better and better, and this is going to be, you know, a kingdom uh, here on, on the world. We, we just talked about this, too, earlier on. If, if you're waiting for that, do me a favor. Stay right here. Turn to Second Peter real quick. And, yeah, that's in your New Testament. Okay. So Second Peter. And, and go to chapter 3. You can go to Revelation, then go to... Jude, third John, second John, first John, second Peter. You want to go that? 
2 Peter chapter 3. This final day of the Lord, this final end of all things. Listen to what, he, what Peter writes here. He says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Remember, at the website you'll find quite a bit of information about The Open Word and a link to the church website. So log on to TheOpenWord.com today and get to know us better. We wish we had more time today to share more of Pastor David's message, but we've run out of time. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.